Studio Wesley Annex, the audiovisual podcast where we break down the lectionary text of the week. I'm your host, Sam Styles Williams, and with me today are some wonderful people with some quick crackling mics. How's everybody doing today? Let's start off with Drew. I think that was you. What ha- what happened, buddy? What was crick? Was that, that a knee? Was that a back? Sure. So that's what that is. I, you're completely good. I thought that was a body part, and I was very concerned no. for your health and well-being. I thought you leaned forward too much and something broke. No, no, just my chair. Usually I'm pretty still, so you don't hear that. Michael, the only one who laughed at my bad knee joke. How you doing? Great. I took a nap. I took a shower. I feel so good right now. Um, Nice and refreshed. Oh, absolutely. I'm a new man. Interesting. A new guest with, man. With no creaky bones. <laughs> My bones are creaking. I can't Not lie about yet it. Yet anyways. Josh, how are your bones? How are you doing today? My bones, bones are pretty good. Um, I've also, kind of like Michael, I'm feeling very fresh. I slept in today very, very late, but I feel great. Wow, I feel I feel kind of jealous. Everybody else has better bones. I left the gym today early because my bones were crick cracking a little too much. But um, we're gonna take it away today. Mike, are you excited to do the opening prayer? I feel like it's been a while since you've prayed with us. You know, I'm always so so happy to do the prayer because I fully believe that we should do prayer on the internet in front of everybody mm-hmm. else. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, all right, um, God, thank you so much for giving us a chance to join together and discuss these texts as always the old the new to us the stuff we've heard a thousand times um there's nothing better than getting to hear a bunch of people's opinions on it and uh maybe gain something new out of stuff that feels um that has been put in the monotonous bubble for us so um thank you for the old bones the new bones the creaky bones i'm ready to go in jesus name amen (laughs) Amen. See, you may not like praying on the internet, but you're just so good at it. We're just going to keep having it happen. Drew, are you ready to start us off today with the New Testament text? I'm ready. Oh my God. Just with it. You can hear my chair still. Okay. Um, so I'm going to be talking about uh, 1 Corinthians 1 18 through 25, but I'm actually going to cheat a little bit and start because I like something that was said in 17, um, which is. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I thought that was really, I I really like that because I feel like every, for me personally, or I think everybody probably has some kind of experience when they've gone to a church, right? And they're kind of, you know, just kind of checking it out or whatever. And the pastor goes up and kind of speaks these like, I don't even know what you call it, like jargon or like they, they speak in such flowery and elegant words. And I think that it's it just loses a lot of people sometimes. I know it loses me because I think that it's something that's really, um, really important. And I think that it, it is an attribute of something like what we do here is that uh, these passages are not supposed to be like reserved for scholars or, you know, not that we're not smart, big-brained people, but it's not like it's not reserved for that. You don't need that, and it's supposed to be um, embraceable for everybody. And I think that that's really, I really like that. Um, and so the next thing that this passage made me think about is um, the ways in which Jesus' teaching is different from the teachings of, uh, I guess, worldly sources or. Um, just what the world tells us. And I know we talk about that a lot um, 
but I think that it's interesting how it's this, this reminded me of kind of as somebody who was a young Christian who didn't grow up in the church, how as especially in America, we're uh, socialized in very specific ways. I think that, you know, in our country, we're very individual, individualistic thinking. Um, we're very like, I'll get mine, you get yours. If you don't get yours, then that's your business. And um, so that's, so, I mean, it can mean a whole lot of things, but that's what I think of when um, I think of sort of worldly teachings, because I feel like that's the society that I've grown up in. And I think that it's interesting how, like for young Christians, it's um, it's it's an active process to sort of uh, rewire your brain to think differently. Um, I kind of I was I think of that because uh, the place I'm doing my internship right now is working with the homeless population, and this kind of reminds me of like it's like maybe our worldly teachings and stuff tell us that some people have made bad decisions and they're not worth helping and they're just on the streets and whatever. Um, but I think that if we really, you know, uh, take in gospel teaching and Jesus teachings, uh, it tells us the opposite. And that's just, I think one example of many, uh, of ways that we have to sort of, I, I say that from my experience, because like, if you were, if you were anything like me when you were a kid, you know, your parents told you, oh, stay away from those people. They're dangerous or they might steal from you or, you know, even they didn't, you know, they didn't necessarily mean it super negatively. But those are the ideas that you're taught. And as Christians, as we kind of grow up, like there's new things, I think even I think even me 15 years from now, you'll still be learning new things of how you're relearning the message of the gospel and unlearning like your worldly teachings like this says. So I, those are the two things that I, that really stood out to me. Yeah, Drew, there was, there's so much good, like amazing stuff in that, that I'm like, now <laughs> I'm stuck like rereading this and looking at it for myself. Cause at the end of the day, I mean, I, that's what I feel like this show is meant to do. Right. Like we're like, it's not about sounding the smartest, like, specifically me and Derek had this conversation and he's like, yeah, I don't like being on the show because I feel like I, it's hard for me not to be pastory and we want this to sound very like anybody can obtain it. Right. Um, so yeah, I know. I feel like that fits the the message of this, of this show really well. I never feel like I'm saying the smartest things on the planet, but um, so it's nice to have a, a text that kind of um, calls us to that. Um, yeah. The last, the last line here in the trip, I always use the voice and it says, um, you can count on this. God's foolishness will always be wiser than mere human wisdom, and God's weakness will always be stronger than mere human strength. Um, I like using I like using the foolishness. It makes me feel better. Like, uh, and that's not me like digging on myself and calling myself foolish or whatever. But like having that terminology used to describe like or used in relationship with God of like God's foolishness um, will always be wiser than us. Like, I don't know. That feels very encouraging in a way that maybe somebody else can articulate better than me, but yeah, cool. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with what you said, Michael. Um, for me, I think, especially when I was younger, like you're just, you're taught never to really think of God as a fool or anything, but I like how, how Paul comes up. Even God was a fool. He's still going to be wiser than the wisest guy. 
Um, so that was kind of interesting for me just, just to think about that. I've never thought about that before. And then I'm really glad, um, Drew, that you talked about verse 17 because I just think that's that's so important. We get to see that side of, of Paul and for him to appeal to the common man um, in this way for us and to kind of really just say what he's trying to do, like his God-given purpose and what he's trying to do here. I think that's, that's really good for him to outline his intent. Um, I, I kind of, when I read this, I, I immediately, I, I find it's, really, it's not sent to baptize. I just thought that was interesting that he's here to write message. Cause when I read this, I immediately contrast it with John the Baptist for some reason. Um, he was kind of, he said to do a lot of things, but mostly baptized. And then I also, I like the way you just kind of talked about, talked about how you, Drew, when you talked about bringing it up in different ways, different ways of us being communicated. Um, I'm taking a communication class right now. And so I've always thought as communication as this, this very broad thing, but that doesn't have a lot of similarities. Why is my Siri going off right now? Um, but for you to just kind of bring that back to how different it can be, I think it's very important. There there are so many good things said in all of these that I decided to start writing down because like I was like, oh, that's a really good point. And oh, that's a really good point. So starting, Drew, with what you were talking about, um, the phrase I wrote down, I, I love this. You said big brained. And that's that's going to be my new way of talking about it, where I love the idea of like breaking down these texts in a conversation that's not meant for the big brained and a conversation that like not saying any of us are dumb. We're all very smart people, but like it doesn't have to be a school of theology interpretation of this that's not what the bible is supposed to be the bible is supposed to be read by everybody and like the ability to do that is really really interesting i also wrote down and want to talk about uh what michael pointed out with like god's foolishness um that was something i actually brought up in was it a, i think was it with i think it was the podcast with just like us interns where we were talking about like the idea of does god make mistakes and the idea of like even in if we agree that there is a foolishness and a foolish side of God, even that is much smarter and more wise than any of us humans can be. It's something that's, like you said, very reassuring and kind of, I, I like it in the way of a humanistic God who still is holy. You still are able to make mistakes and you still are able to have foolish moments, but they are still far beyond what we can comprehend. Um, and then I also, the whole conversation we're having about like re-socializing is very very interesting and very important for a lot of different issues like drew brought up with like the unhoused population i think a lot of things in our life we are taught from such a young age that we're taught not to question and to never think about it and so jesus as kind of this re-teacher this unlearner of things because jesus's very existence goes against everything that was being taught at the time he is breaking tradition and so like i like the idea of a leader who's coming in to tell you to stop thinking that everything is what it is and that things are not black and white and to have you rethink what you've been taught. I think that's really important in every context. And with that, we're going to go into our Old Testament text. Mike, are you ready to talk about Old Testament? I am always ready to talk. Are you excited about to not have the gospel today? I It's it's weird. It's for sure <laughs> weird, but I'll, I'll do my best. You got this. All right. So um, I have Exodus 20 verses 1 through 17. You'll basically know this as the scripture that tells us the Ten Commandments. I mean, which is pretty cut and dry. So I was like, when I when I read this, I was like, how how do you how do you talk about that? It just it just kind of is like those are those are yep those are the Ten Commandments as we know them. Great, cool. Um, I mean, so I did a, I did a little bit of extra 
research here of course like um i thought i thought i think it's contextually important to know like until now god has kind of dealt mostly with moses on behalf of his people and then now it's like oh now i'm speaking directly to everybody which i think is an impactful thing to kind of factor into this the other thing is like i and i had never realized this but um i read somewhere where it, it kind of breaks the Ten Commandments into two chunks. The first four being um, directives that concern with our duties to like on how we worship God, the one true God. And then the last six are more like how we live with each other in society. The specific, uh, I use the voice translation, with get, which gives you some added notes. So it said, the last, the last six pertain to how Israel is to live with one another in a covenant-based society. So I, I think it's already very like nice to hear these last six commandments kind of related to like living together in community. Um, I don't know that puts, puts it in a nice framework for me. Um, so I was going to sit here and talk about like, take all the 10 commandments and be like, this is how I engage with them personally, um, which I will still do. But I also want to acknowledge the fact that like, that feels weirdly harder to do than most things. Like, I think it's just, growing up in a Christian household and, and knowing the sort of like stigma and the, the, the weird power dynamics that people use 10 commandments for in places that can cause a lot of harm is like just worth recognizing. And I see it in myself when I'm like, I want to talk about how I interpret this 10 commandment. And then I think of all these moments where it's like, you can you can only interpret it one way. It's very clear cut and blah, 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 you know? And I don't know. I just want to acknowledge that sort of, I don't want, I don't know if power dynamics is the right word, but maybe like the way we use the 10 commandments and how they're so easy for Christians to call upon when discussing others. I don't know. It gets a really weird and awkward and uncomfy sometimes, but um, nonetheless, I'm, I'm going to throw in some, some thoughts I have on specific commandments that maybe just might be helpful for other people or worth discussing. Um, so we have the, the, the taking the Lord's name in vain one that always hits me because I personally, when I think of this commandment, I have to acknowledge the fact that for me personally, taking the Lord's name in vain, it's not saying, oh my God, like I was taught growing up. This, the commandment is, it uh, requires the intention behind it. Like if your intention with using the Lord's name is to um, oppress others or cause harm to other people or individuals, and you're doing that in the Lord's name, that to me is taking the Lord's name in vain. It's not just saying, oh my God, it's, you know, there's actually um, intent to harm behind it. So that's like one kind of piece that's tacked on for that for me. Um, keep the Sabbath day holy. That was the other one where I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's another moment in the Bible, probably in like Matthew somewhere, where um, uh, Jesus is like healing people on the Sabbath and people are like, what the heck, man? You're not supposed to be working on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, if your sheep falls in a hole on the Sabbath, are you just going to let it die there? No, like helping others can totally be part of your Sabbath. So again, just engaging with these with the added context, I think is really important. The last thing I'll throw on here is like in regards to the judgment that gets associated with the Ten Commandments. And maybe you guys don't have that experience. In my personal experience, there's judgment and the Ten Commandments are used to cause harm and judge sometimes. Um, if we go back to this age-old thing of a top-down view of a skyline, you know, if you look at a skyline from the side, everything has different heights. If you look at it top-down, you just see a bunch of squares. Every building 
might as well be the same size, right? And this is our view of sin, of one sin's not worse than the other. God views all sin as equal. And I think that's very intentional because um, these aren't meant to use to judge each other. They're, they, these are like a guideline for us to live in a good society, right? If we all follow these for ourselves, ideally society's pretty great, right? Um, so just acknowledging that, I'm going to say acknowledging a lot. Um, we have to acknowledge that we all live in sin. God views all sin as equal. So there isn't a person that's worse than another for engaging with sin. We all engage with sin. And I think that's done so that we don't judge each other. Or the intention behind that is that we don't use these against each other to like rank ourselves. No, we, because they're so broad and because they're so generic and, um, it's because of that, that, um, the 10 commandments are actually used as a framework to have us not judge each other because we're all living in sin all the time. Um, that's all I'll throw in there. Would love to hear you guys' thoughts. Okay. Yeah. I really like to talk about Michael about kind of the, the quality of all the commandments. I remember um, like very early in Sunday school when I was in elementary school and we just, we were told to get broken into small groups and just talk about the 10 commandments. And one of the first things that I did was like try and rank them on what I thought was important. And like, I, my, my Sunday school teacher, like <laughs> I could tell she was mad, but she was very like gracious about it and nice about it, thankfully. But I just, that's, that's always been something for me that's just been tough just to think of all sin as equal to think about like, not to think about killing someone is like the same in God's eyes as using the Lord's name in vain or whatever. Like that's just, that's always, I like how you talked about the equality of that. Um, I liked how you talked about, it's been a while since I've heard, I've heard this before, how you broke down the four and the six. I just think it's been a while since I've revisited that in my head to think about my mind. It should be five and five. We should have, you know, five of our, five of them for God, five of them for the community, but it's not like that. Um, yeah, that's just that's really interesting to me. It's also crazy to think what really strikes me about this passage is how late it is in the Bible, I guess, even though it is like in Exodus. Like, I just think it should be Genesis 1-1, right, after the creation or whatever. So that's just crazy. You kind of talked about the context of what's happening. I think that there was a time before the Ten Commandments, which is like hurts my brain a little bit. And then also you, you kind of acknowledge how this is like one of the first times – where God kind of directly gave his people something, not through Moses, not through like someone else, but it was like kind of this one-to-one ratio of, this is like directly from God, not, I mean, he didn't hand it off to Moses, but this is like direct instruction from God, not from me, Moses, but from God. So I just think that's interesting. I want to start off by saying, I miss being on podcast with you, Michael, because I, you couldn't see my face. But you said the skyline argument, which I have never heard in my life. And like I was writing down and then my mouth just dropped. And I was like, what? huh? Like that's such a good – I've never heard that analogy before. I, I You probably didn't make it up. I know that. But I'm giving you credit for it. It was really, really good. And that's such an interesting way to think about it because like I, I completely agree that a lot of the times when people use the Ten Commandments, they use it against each other. And like the idea of how – of using something given by God and interpreting it in our own way and then throwing it back at each other, I feel like is the opposite of what we're supposed to be looking at, especially since like breaking that down four and six, 
six of them, the majority of them are about how we should be treating each other. And so that is, I'd argue, the more important part of the Ten Commandments. If you had to rank them, you shouldn't rank them. Again, that's me interpreting, which is the problem. Um, but I just love that analogy of it's. It, this is how God should see it. This is not our choice to throw at each other. Um, however, I also will throw something at you because you said you're going to talk about the ones that you relate to in life. So that means you kind of confess to killing people. Um, that's that's what I got from your interpretation was you you casually left that one out as one that you follow in your life. So so I just thought that was interesting. I'd love to hear how other people see your your constant murder spree apparently. Constant. It's it's ongoing. And you hate your mother and father apparently. <laughs> My dad watches these. I do not hate I don't hate you dad. You guys kind of said some things that I was thinking of, but what I never heard it called the like skyscraper theory or flat building from, I don't know, whatever the theory is called. I've never heard it described that way, but I always, I do think it's interesting how quickly, like as Christians, we use like, um, I guess you call them guidelines. We use guidelines so fast to, uh, you know, point to others rather than trying to think about how they affect us first. And I think that is interesting how much of Jesus's ministry is, based around trying to say, Hey, you didn't implement those correctly. You did you weren't supposed to, you, you know, the whole like log thing, whatever, you know, ch- chip in somebody else's eye, get the log out of your eye first, you know, that whole thing. Like, it's interesting that we, Jesus goes to such lengths to uh, like dispel the ways in which we uh, use something like this. And then we still do the same thing with Jesus <laughs> teachings too, which is interesting, but um yeah that's what i say. i it goes back to what we just talked about of like jesus coming down to teach humans basically how we've been messing up what we were told to do um and i i love that interpretation of the whole new testament of like okay we got to do a reset because you guys you guys are not getting the point um, but with that, we are going to transition to our break. Um, so we're going to take some time here. I think Michael will probably call his parents and say that he loves them and that he doesn't hate them. I've been on the phone with my parents this entire episode. <laughs> what? They're, they're on a wire. They're on the podcast. Bring them out. Bring them out. Bring them out. Bring them out. Bring them out, Mr. Yarrick. But with that, we are going to transition to our break. So we will see you guys later. Bye, guys. And what was that? I really was going to keep going. And then I saw you giggling about it. And I was like, okay, well, we can restart. Actually, what if we just started it right here? And this was how it started. Yep. <laughs> okay, no we're back from know. break. Michael made a weird noise. Um, we spent all break talking about Derek's secret plot to learn everybody's parents. Um, so Derek, if you're listening to this, we're on to you, buddy. We, we know what your plan is. And with that, with all that chaos, do we want to transition into our psalm for the day? Josh, you ready? Yes, I am ready. Uh, so I have Psalm 19, and I really like this psalm because it's like a it's a call to worship. But kind of in my own like interpretation of it, 
it's also a call to worship for not just like us as humans, but for the angels as well. So I think that's kind of unique. It talks a lot about kind of the, how heaven is declaring God's glory. The sky is proclaiming his handiwork. That's just like the very first verse. I just think that's really unique in that not a lot of like the Psalms do that. Um, a lot of them feel like they're written for just us, but I feel like you can also apply this to like heaven as well. Um, there's a bunch of, bunch of things in here that I really like. I like, let's see, kind of what's really interesting to me is I've talked about how I'm taking a communication class. And so for this, it talks about kind of the days communicating to each other and it kind of like personifies them in a way that I've never really thought about. Um, just up until like verse four, it kind of talks about, it, it reminds me of when Jesus talks about, I think it was Jesus where he talks about um, he acknowledges kind of the a lot of anxiety and that worries that some people have when he talks about, he just compares them to the birds where he's like the birds in the sky, they don't, they don't worry at all. And yet I still feed them. So neither you shouldn't worry either. Um, it talks about the sun kind of going back to personifies the sun a lot. It talks about him coming out of his honeymoon suite, which I thought was really kind of unique. I don't know why they went for that, but they did. Um, and then it, I really just, and from verse about seven to about, I think 10 or 11, just the, the amount of like the detail that they go into and the adjectives that they use. I feel like a lot of the Psalms do this really well, but this one especially just feels great. Um, just talking about how his regulations are right. And they just, it, it just goes to the extra detail into a lot of stuff. Every single verse does that. And then probably my favorite verse is the second half of 12, where it says, clear me of any unknown sin. And I just think that's, I've, I've kind of thought about that. I used to do this a lot more, but I just think that that puts it into such, I like just the way it phrases that for, you know, when you pray for repentance, for you to take that extra step of you, you acknowledging your sins before God, but then taking an extra step of, I'm such a fool that I don't even, there's some, I know that there's some sins that I've committed that I don't even know their sins. So just that extra step really goes to show that's like probably my favorite verse in this whole thing. And then verse 14, I think it's just such a good, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I've just, I've heard that so many times. And so, so to hear it now here in the Bible, I think is awesome. So yeah, that's what I got. I really like any kind of part in the Bible that talks like personifies how the world reacts to God. Um, Cause I've kind of always thought about it as God reacting to God because like he is in everything. And so how it is personified is kind of a part of that. And the idea of it gets into the very like universal thinking of things where it is the, the Holy spirit and God and Jesus are in everything. And so everything worships his name is like a really beautiful concept. And it's a nice like way to look at the world, especially I always think about it in like hard times to just be able to look at a blade of grass and be like, there's no way that that should exist. Um, and the fact that it does is a gift. Um, but I, I really like any kind of Psalm, like you were just saying that talks about the personification of the world around, um, but also it's interesting that you said at the end, your favorite verse, because like the idea of what sins we don't know about, I like as a making this prayer human, 
because we can talk all day about the amazing things God does and how God will forgive us for anything. But I love the human element of like, yeah, we actually don't know half of the bad things that we're doing to each other. We don't like know half of the bad things that we're doing to the world. And so a God who is able to forgive for all of that, even what we don't know about, is a God that I like a lot. Um, I like that, that broad interpretation of it. It's funny to me uh, that in my passage, I talk, we talk, Paul talks about how like it doesn't have to be eloquent and stuff. And it's funny that like to me, the Psalms are written like poetry, like they are very eloquent. So that's funny to me. And I, you did a very good job because for some reason, the Psalms always like stump me because just the way they're written, I think is challenging for me. But I agree that um, I think you said that the, your favorite verse was the one talking about um, the sins that we don't know. And I think that's really important to recognize that we don't we mess up in ways that are beyond our under, beyond our uh, like recognition. And I think that's really important too because if you don't recognize that you mess up in ways that you can't even notice, I think that when you do that, it gives God a chance to like show you. And you probably wouldn't see without, you know, it's almost like asking, you know what I mean? So I think that that's really cool. I have this weird association with that. I also love that verse in the translation I'm looking at right now, but who can discern their own errors, forgive my hidden faults. feels like a weird, um, like love letter to your past self of like, Hey, even in those moments where I was so stubborn headed and couldn't like, couldn't see it, you know, in retrospect, I'm looking back and, um, forgive me of that, please. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. That's, that's pretty cool. And then I just have to point out verse 14. This is the verse every, that every pastor in the Methodist church <laughs> says after every prayer ever. And I'm always like, man, this, what, what is the, like, like why, why this verse, why does this verse get the most like clout in the Methodist church? I don't know. May the words of my heart in this med- meditation, Words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be pleasing in your sight. God, the amount of times I've heard that. I'm like, here it is. That's my favorite part about Annex is when we just find those random verses and you're like, I've heard that a thousand times. Um, I didn't even know it was scripture, if I'm being honest. So cool. Just had to point it out. Shout out UMC. To entirely reveal like my age for a second as as the one of the youngest, I think actually the youngest person on this podcast, it feels like when you hear like an audio from social media and you're watching a TV show and you're like, oh, I know that one. I know that line. It's like in the zeitgeist. I know this. That's a pop culture reference. And so I, when I was reading it, heard it. And the worst part is I couldn't remember why I knew it. And it took until you saying it to be like, oh. My mom says that for a living like that. I've heard that every week of my life. People make money saying that verse. They say that one. It's the line. It's the line from the movie. Yeah. yeah. It just, you don't even think about it sometimes. That's also how I felt when you brought up the 10 commandments and I was like, Oh yeah, I know that one. Oh, that one's from church. They're, they're in Exodus. Who knew? <laughs> I didn't know that. It's no, a big book, man. Know. I don't know. I love Listen, it. This podcast is not for the big brain. We've already said that. So if you expected big brain content, get out. I love, I, we just have to, I mean, can we just live in the, the world where you're like, where you're like, yeah, this reminds me of like when people are like, oh, I thought that was a TikTok song. I thought this, <laughs> I thought this was a TikTok song. It turns out it's an actual song. Wait, this comes from somewhere else. This wasn't originally made by Charlie D'Amelio. What are you talking about? Okay. I just made the preface that this is not for the big brain. But uh, it's time for my text. And I'm so sorry. 
I had to take a big brain interpretation. So buckle up, guys, because this one's a doozy. Because this is, so this is Jesus cleansed the temple. This is John uh, 2, verses 13 through 16. I have always heard it. This goes back to what you're saying of like, you know this story. I've always heard it as Jesus flips the table. Because this is brace yourselves when jesus gets mad and flips the table jesus walks into the temple and sees all of these people who are selling wares and have made a market in the temple and he gets really really mad about it and he goes over and he flips the tables and he spills all the coins everywhere drives out the people drives out the animals and declares that this is wrong this is his father's home this is the temple and it shouldn't be used for these kind of things as a very broad summary because now I'm going to get into the way too big brain thing. Because I was reading it, and I started reading some commentaries, and all of them were like, John is the most descriptive version of this story. John talks about it the most. John gives the most details, tells it like a narrative. So then I was like, okay, so what does everybody else talk about? So I, for the first time in Studio Wesleyanix, looked at all of the Gospels for this story, and how each different Gospel talks about this story. So, each one has a very different, like there's little tiny details that are changed that completely change it. And knowing those makes me like John better. So I'm going to start. Okay. Very quickly. Mark. Mark is very short. Um, and Mark, actually, wait, let me go in order for a second so that my pastors who are watching this don't get mad at me. Matthew, the first one. Um, very quick. Um, the actual event takes about two sentences. And this is the one where it starts the line that the temple has become a den of robbers and that all those people who are in there who are selling their wares, have become, like they are the robbers of the temple. They have taken this holy place and made it for monetary gain. Um, it feels like a in a modern context, this feels like a kind of like anti-capitalist reading, which like I'm all here for. Um, then we go to Mark, also short, also repeating the den of robbers. But Mark, in true Mark fashion, takes it just a, another step further and kind of makes it a much darker story because you know from reading this that this is one of the moments where the people the powers that be in the church start seeing jesus as a threat mark does not hide that mark tells the story of jesus he comes in he flips the tables he calls it a den of robbers and then it goes to the next verse where it says and when the chief priests and the scribes heard it they kept looking for a way to kill him there's no subtlety. He just says, yup, and then they wanted him out. He is a threat to power. He is somebody who's countercultural. We have to kill him. And I really like that. I like Mark's version of it. Then we go to Luke, which is similar, but Luke is my least favorite because Luke cuts the table flipping. And that is my favorite version of Jesus. When people ask me what kind of Jesus I like, I say I like a Jesus that cries and I like a Jesus that flips tables. And Luke cutting it out makes me really mad about it. So sorry, Luke, I don't like your version of the story. But then we get to John. And John, obviously, now that we've talked about it, you can see now how much more detailed it is. It's not the longest verse-wise, but it really goes into the story of it. And one of the key differences in it is that Jesus makes a whip before he does anything. And that doesn't seem like a super important detail that like he has a weapon, but the idea of making a whip is interesting because this in, okay, I'm taking my legal classes right now. And this would now categorize as premeditated because he took the time to sit there and make himself a weapon before he did it. And all, all the other gospel stories, Jesus just walks in and does it. It could be a crime of passion. He's just angry. He's so enraged by it. But in this one, 
he takes his time to make a whip and really sits there and ruminates about how mad he is about this and then flips the tables and then throws the coin purses and drives out everybody. And John's version ignores the chiefs. It says that he drives them out, but it ignores their response and instead decides to focus on what Jesus is teaching. Instead of focusing on how the, the chiefs reply to his teaching, they talk about his teaching. And what he says is that he tells them that they should destroy the temple and he would make it in three days. He's trying to prove to them his power and trying to prove that he is the son of God because they're, of course, questioning. And he says, if you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. And they immediately ask him, it took us 46 years to construct this. You're going to raise it in three days. And then the last line of it, verse 21, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus spoke, which I also like. It's only in John. And I like the fact that I interpret this as a confused group of disciples, because that means he's, they believe him because he just turned water into wine. They're on his side. Then he flips out and destroys the temple market and gets, goes kind of crazy and then tells this weird prophecy that doesn't come true until a very long time later. And I love that. I love a confused group of disciples who way after the fact are like, oh, no, actually, that made sense. Good job, Jesus. So. That was my way too big brain dive into John's version. Um, but I want to hear what you guys think and hear if you guys have a version that you care about more or details that you care about with this. That was quite analytical. <laughs> uh, but uh, I agree. I, I like when, like you were saying, I like it when the disciples are kind of confused because I think that it makes sense to be confused. Like, like, I'm often harsh in my interpretation when I read like what it says. And I'm like, well, how could you not see that? Or how could you not? But like, you have to think about it in their shoes. Like some of it was, you know, not normal. It's the guys telling, talking about stuff. And you're like, well, I just saw you do this crazy thing, but that doesn't make any sense. Or this doesn't, you know? So I think that it makes sense. Like, I like the idea of them being confused because it makes, I'd probably be confused too. And I also think that, what you're talking about with like the flipping of tables. Like, I think that's an important part of the story. I think that it shows that like Jesus is perfect and Jesus is, um, you know, like he's correct in his anger, but also that also the emotions that he's feeling are still righteous at the same time. And I think that in a way that if we're using it for the right things, it validates our human emotions um, because he feels those same emotions. So I think that that's really important. Um, I'm going to totally go off the rails with this real quick because I just let a, so I'm leading an album study right now um, on the band, the Oh Hellos. And literally the song I just talked about yesterday um, references um, the tables in the temple being turned. So I just think that's really cool. But um, so context on that song, everybody should listen to it. It's called the, it's called Oh Sleeper by the Oh Hellos. Um, and the lyrics say this, but like the sun that turns the sky, illuminating all in time, the tables in the temple will be turned on their side. And just as it scorches up the dunes beneath the height of noon, the pillars of the empire will be burned in kind. Um, anyways, the whole point of this album is that this, the speaker of this album had originally had this harmful view of Christianity that built walls and caused separation between others. And now they've have this opened world view that's changed 
And because of that, with the rage of the temples and the table or the, the tables in the temple being turned on their side, they're now going to like bloody up their hands and tear down all these walls that they have themselves have caused. And I guess I'm just relating to that, relating the temple tables to, to this idea of like the harm that we have contributed to. And then um, like that sort of, passion response of like i'm just gonna burn it all down i'm gonna flip it all down because i have a hand in making this i don't know this is a kind of a loose stretch but i'm thinking of jesus the son of man like the the frustration that you're you're talking about even in the methodical way of ruminating in it um there it's hard to as a human to not um ref reference or look at your own pardon that of like this is my teaching that got derailed or this is my like holy place that got derailed like um it's not actually like jesus's fault right but but i imagine as like jesus being the son of man and the human emotions that come into this it's like oh but it's connected to me therefore there's a passion response because i feel connected to this material and i don't know i i just feel the the empowerment of like wanting to burn down things that in places where you've caused harm, you're like, Oh, I want to like rid myself of that memory. I want to get rid of it. I want to do whatever I can to fix it. I don't know. That's, that's what I hear anytime I think of the temple table story now. So I just want to throw that in there. I wanted to comment on that for a little bit. Cause I actually, this was like one of those things that I feel like I learned through annex, um, like through doing this over and over again, because I, this is my favorite version of Jesus. I love the, the down with the establishment. Let's take it down. But one of the things I realized while doing these readings constantly or more frequently than I've ever had before was like kind of having sympathy for the chief priests, which is not the way you're supposed to interpret this text, but exactly what you're talking about of like, they're doing their jobs. They like, for what I, one of the readings I was talking about explains culturally why there is a marketplace in the temple and like, it's because they're being ruled by a foreign empire and they are trying to follow the 10 commandments and there's a bunch of logistics reasons. And so the idea of what you're talking about of like, Oh, Jesus doesn't like what we've made and how we've interpreted what God said. And so I love the anti-establishment Jesus. I love the take it all down, but thinking about it in a context of imagine if Jesus came down and said, the thing that you believe is wrong. And like, making making space for that making like having an interpretation that's broader than that i think is really interesting mike i kind of i like the the violence of it michael that you like highlighted i think when i you know when i read this text i always when i was reading this text um for preparation for this podcast i just i i kind of giggled smiled because i just i think about that meme so i laugh about the what would jesus do bracelet and the fact that when you wear that it's kind of that runny joke that did you know that running into storming into a building and flipping over the tables is definitely a possibility that you can do. And so just to think about Jesus, I don't know, like, I guess it's kind of like one of the only times he's ever violent. Like one of the only violent times I can think, uh, especially this violent. And I love Sam. We talked about the premeditated, like, cause I, I definitely seems like everything Jesus did was premeditated. And for him, just think about Jesus making a whip. What the heck? That must have been the most perfect whip ever, obviously. Um, so that was kind of funny to think. And I love, Sam, the approach you took where how broad it was of you looking at all the different accounts of the story and the things that people left in and things people left out. Um, I just 
and how they also like all include this story is very important, I think, because a lot of times you see, I'm going to say like discrepancies, but some people leave their stories. There's sometimes their stories and gospels that aren't others. And so for like all of them to include this, I think just signifies how important this is, that this is that they all thought, hey, this needs to be in here. Even though it's very unique. It's important that every gospel talks about a righteously angry Jesus. I love that. This is, this is, I can't say it enough. This is my favorite part of Jesus. Um, and with that, I feel like I can end and I will never, for the rest of the season, I don't have to have a big brain moment. That was my one time. Um, the rest I can have just normal. I'll That's just talk a, about it. Such a lie, Sam. You're always big brain. <laughs> no, no. From now on, I'll, I'll just point out the fun details. That, that was, whew, I feel tired now. Okay, do we want Drew? Do you want to close us out for this episode? Yeah, for sure. Hey, God, thank you so much for bringing us, bringing us together to have this conversation with each other. Um, it's not always elegant or big brained like we said, um, but it's just our genuine thoughts and it's your scriptures and we're working through it and what it means for us today. And um, we're really thankful that uh, you brought us together for that. Um, hopefully everybody who listened to this uh, got something from it. Um, thank you for being with us and thank you for being with the people uh, who we don't see right now that are listening to this. And um, yeah, we love you, God. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. This, was, this has been a fun one. Um, and with that, listeners, we are going to head out. So goodbye to listeners of, of various creaky bone levels and of various sized gray. We will catch you later. Bye, guys. Bye.